African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Very good morning and welcome to African Dialogue. You tuned into Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And we are currently on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Zikona Miso, standing in for Benjamin Mushadama. We're doing this until the top of the hour. And on today's program, we'll be taking a look at the food security crisis on the African continent with a keen interest on the Southern African region. So if you want to get in on the conversation, don't forget you're more than welcome to tweet us at Channel Africa 1, text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or you can always send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. But for now, let's take a look at what's happening in the world with the news with Onele Nzinzi. We take a look at your headlines this morning. The South African government is denied leave to appeal against the ruling that its failure to arrest Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir was unconstitutional. Nigeria's army rescues dozens of kidnapped women and children held captive by Boko Haram. And Zimbabwe's main opposition movement for Democratic Change Party claimed its legislators received death threats. With your latest news, a very good morning. I am Onilin Tsinsi. The High Court in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, has denied government leave to appeal against its finding that the failure to arrest Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir was unconstitutional. Al-Bashir attended an African Union summit in Johannesburg in June. The Southern African Legislation Center approached the High Court in a bid to have al-Bashir arrested. He is wanted by the International Criminal Court for War Crimes. The court ordered the government to bar him from leaving. However, he still managed to leave. The court then subsequently found that South Africa was duty-bound to arrest al-Bashir and that the government's failure to do so was unconstitutional. In Wednesday's judgment, the government also lost his bid to appeal with the court. Nigeria's army says it has rescued dozens of kidnapped women and children held captive by the Islamic extremist group Boko Haram. The army says it has cleared Boko Haram camps in northeastern Borno State. Hundreds of hostages have been freed from Boko Haram captivity this year, but none of the 219 girls abducted in April last year from a school in Chibok were among those rescued. 
Zimbabwe's main opposition movement for Democratic Change Party says several of its legislators received death threats on Tuesday. The threats sent via text messages came as President Robert Mugabe officially opened the third session of the Eighth Parliament. During the address to Parliament, there was an apparent mix-up as Mugabe read the wrong speech. Shenga Nyoka has more. Following state media reports that several opposition members were planning to disrupt the president's address, several of them received death threats via text message. The Movement for Democratic Change's chief whip, Innocent Gonese, showed us his message. The message warns that MPs should not heckle the president during his address, telling them that the parliamentary immunity they enjoy inside parliament will not apply once they step outside of the House. Inside parliament, the president's address was meant to set the legislative agenda for the next 12 months, but in what insiders are describing as a grave blunder and almost verbatim delivery of the State of the Nation address given weeks earlier. Lesotho's Deputy Prime Minister Mutejo Metsing faced a litany of cross-examination testing his statement that he stands by reappointed Army Commander Tladika Modi and that he believes he has always stood for democracy. Metsing was on the second day of testifying at the Sada Commission of Inquiry investigating the death of former Army Commander Mabarangwe Mahao. After two days on the stand, the Commission has decided to bring Metsing back on a day yet to be announced. Reports from capital, Maseru. Metzing didn't mince his words. The army said from the onset it wanted the mutiny to be excluded from the commission and dealt with by its court-martial. Metzing says the government is not to blame if the commission is unable to get information. At the end of the day, tensions were running high as more lawyers wanted to cross-examine Metzing and Judge Pumapi once again reminded the lawyers that he was in charge. The commission is in recess today and another date will be set for Metzing to appear again to face further cross-examination. And finally, a shaman known as a man of peace and a former federal lawmaker is among the 14 Mexican tourists whose Egyptian vacation ended in a nightmarish military strike. The Mexican government confirmed on Tuesday that eight of the 12 people mistakenly killed by Egypt, Egyptian security forces on Sunday were Mexican citizens. Six other Mexicans were wounded and in a stable condition in Cairo's hospital. Now, recapping on your top stories, the South African government is denied leave of to appeal against the ruling that its failure to arrest Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir was unconstitutional. Nigeria's army rescues dozens of kidnapped women and children held captive by Boko Haram. And Zimbabwe's main opposition movement for Democratic Change Party claims its legislators received death threat threats. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilin Tinti.
At seven minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time, you tuned into African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikon Amiso. I'm with you until the top of the hour. And today, as I mentioned, we will be looking at the food security crisis on the African continent with a particular emphasis on the Southern African region. Now, for almost half a century, Sub-Saharan Africa has been struggling in one form or another with food insecurity. This ongoing condition has been caused by a number of factors, including distribution obstacles, global climate change, a lack of successful local agriculture and an inability or disinterest to act by local officials. The situation has been further complicated by an inefficient and disorganized international response to the crisis. But by far, Southern Africa has borne the brunt of food insecurity with Namibia, Zimbabwe, Botswana and Malawi the hardest hit. To help us discuss this food insecurity crisis, we are joined now on the line by Martin Malelembe, who is Channel Africa's Malawi news correspondent. Good day, Martin, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, Zikora. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. Also on the line, we've got Nokutula Mene, who's the economic, who's from the Economic Justice Campaign. Uh, well, she is the Economic Justice Campaign Advisor at Oxfam South Africa. Good day, Nokutula. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Zikona. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So for you, our listener, we'd like to get in on the conversation. Please remember that uh, there are various ways you can get in touch with us. You can tweet us at Channel Africa 1, text us plus 27823325905, or you can always uh, send us an email that is to info at channelafrica.co.za, and we'll be definitely posing some of those questions uh, through to our guests. Now, Martin, I'm going to um, begin with you. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the food um, insecurity uh, crisis in Malawi? Well, uh, uh, thank you very much for inviting me uh, to this particular program. Well, I can confirm that here in Malawi this year, I think there is a shortage of food. And the, uh, when I can read it on the percentage, uh, according to the report from the uh, Ministry of Agriculture, they say that a 40% of uh, total population here in Malawi still uh, face hunger this year. Uh, you might be interested to know why Malawi has been hit by particular hunger. Firstly, mm. uh, is about the uh, climate change. Uh, you are aware that many African nations are facing uh, or either have been affected by the uh, uh, climate change, and this has resulted in the floods uh, that also even hit Malawi. And you recall that uh, over 200 people were washed away by the heavy uh, floods. And also, uh, just, uh, uh, just to brief you, uh, uh, this particular hunger has affected close to 20 districts here in Malawi. Mm. Uh, despite that, Malawi government recently introduced the what we call farm input subsidy program. Uh, it seems like uh, many Malawians, especially the poor people from the uh, uh, villages, they are still not benefiting from the uh, initiative. Uh, the idea was that uh, at least to uh, come out from this particular hunger. And uh, uh, let me just give you an overview uh, of how Malawi normally harvests in each and every mm-hmm. agricultural season. As per a normal agricultural season, Malawi normally expected to harvest at least 4 million metric tons of maize. But uh, this particular year, Malawi only managed to harvest uh, 2.8 million metric tons. That sure. means uh, there is a shortage of uh, uh, maize here in Malawi. Mm. And mm. Uh, what Malawi government did earlier on uh, is that I think if they give about uh, four, 4 billion Malawi quarter uh, to the uh, 
uh, National Food Reserve Agency in order to purchase uh, mains in the countries like Zambia and Tanzania. Now I can also confirm that Malawi has secured at least 100, uh, 100 metric tons of mains uh, from Zambia so that they can alleviate this particular now, uh, we, we, I mean, you've just given us an overview of Malawi in itself and what it, and, and the situation there. But um, we're going to be looking, obviously, at the whole Southern African uh, uh, region. And um, we also, um, I might um, add that we are joined also on the line now by Mr. David Piri, who is um, the FAO sub-regional coordinator for Southern Africa. Good day, Mr. Piri, and thank you for joining us. Mr. Piri? Seems like uh, we don't have uh, Mr. Piri on the line. Um, unfortunately, I was too eager, but he will be joining us a little bit later on. Um, as we were speaking, um, Martin, uh, I was thinking, you know, you mentioned that uh, the government has been making some efforts in terms of really trying to curb this. But has enough been done, you know, um, to really um, deal decisively with this particular crisis, which affects everyone? Martin? Well, uh, I, I, uh, your point... You know, Malawi has about 17 uh, million populations of people, and eventually I think that uh, 40% of Malawians who uh, who need more uh, food this year. Uh, I mean, the 100 metric tons that Malawi government has secured from Zambia and Tanzania, it's not a bit, it's not quite enough, because even the grain reserves in Malawi didn't have enough men. And uh, what is happening right now here in Malawi is that uh, the main prices on the local market now very expensive. I can continue yesterday. Martin, we seem to be having a little bit of a problem uh, with that line. We can't really hear you clearly at this time, but I'll bring you back in uh, while we try to sort out that problem. But in the meantime, I'd like to welcome uh, Mr. David Orr, who's also joining us on the line. He's the Communications Officer for Southern Africa United Nations World Food Program. Good day, Mr. Orr, and thank you for joining us. Hello. Also on the line, uh, we've got um, uh, Noktula um, Mene, who is um, the Economic Justice Campaigns Advisor for Oxfam South Africa. And Noktula, I know you've been waiting patiently on the line, but a little bit earlier on, we were just uh, using Malawi as a bit of a case study. Noktula, in your view, how did Southern Africa's uh, food, secu- food insecurity, so to speak, um, deteriorate to such a disturbing level? Um, Zikana, you're right that um, the food security situation in Southern Africa it remains a challenge, and a challenge that I think governments um, across Southern Africa are failing to tackle. Mm. Um, for more than half of the states in Southern Africa, hunger exceeds 25%, including South Africa, which is a so-called um, emerging nation. Um, and it comes down to a number of issues. The causes are numerous. Mm. Um, but I think the main issue for some developed for, for emerging nations like South Africa, we find that South Africa produces enough calories to mm-hmm. feed all its people. Actually, this year is one of the three countries that have produced a surplus of maize. Um, South Africa, along with um, Zambia and Tanzania, are the only three countries in Southern Africa that have a surplus of maize. South Africa is a 310 metric ton surplus, which means every, 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 all the other countries within Southern Africa will have to import maize in order to meet their basic Mm. Um, needs. Uh, but it comes down to an issue of a lack of investment in, in, in agriculture, per se. I'm going to so, ask you to hold that thought a bit. We're going to go to a short break and we'll just delve more into um, some of the reasons behind these, uh, these uh, high levels of food insecurity. But uh, please do stay on the line. We'll be back after this. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? 
send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow, and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. And also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. You tuned into African Dialogue. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And today we're discussing food insecurity on the African continent and with a particular emphasis on the Southern African region. We are joined on the line by Noctula Mene, Economic Justice Campaigns Advisor at Oxfam South Africa. Also on the line now we've got Mr. David Piri, who's the FAO Sub-Regional Coordinator for Southern Africa. Good day, Mr. Piri. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good day to you. We also are joined on the line by Mr. David Orr, who's the communications officer for Southern Africa's UN World Food Programme. Now, Noctula, before we went to, on that break, you were just delving into some of the reasons that um, uh, might have added to the, to the situation that we see on the continent. And you highlighted um, uh, South Africa, Zambia and Tanzania having been one of those countries that have actually had a surplus of maize um, uh, in the recent year. And can you explain to us maybe what it is that those particular countries are doing differently um, than the other countries who seem to be lagging behind in this regard? Um, I think it's an investment in in agriculture. Mm. Um, I think those countries have um, efficient, well, I wouldn't say efficient, but they've got better um, extension systems Mm. and they've paid better attention to the kind of um, advice they give to their farmers. Um, In the case of South Africa, you've also got the issue of um, um, commercial farmers um, being supported quite largely and also being able to support themselves. And um, in the vast majority of the other countries, we find that um, the farming is typically done by smallholder farmers who have not been afforded the same levels of support that their commercial counterparts have been afforded. And so productivity remains low. Mm. Um, and so as such, we find that um, there has been a decrease in, 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 in um there, there, there has been a decrease in productivity, in, in production and in general, but also the impacts of climate change mm-hmm. have also played quite, quite strongly on the different countries. And smallholder farmers in countries where farming is predominantly reliant on smallholder agriculture, smallholder farmers have not been able to adapt to the effects of climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not been able to access the finance and the needed um, knowledge to, to be able to adapt to climate change. And as such, they've been hard hit by the effects of drought, unlike in countries where it's largely predominantly done by commercial farmers who have more financial muscle to adapt to climate change without help from the government. Mm-hmm. Mr. O, do you agree with the nocturnal sentiments there? Um, yes, I do. I think, you know, the countries where we see 
the most uh, food insecurity at the moment. Um, Zimbabwe and Malawi obviously very, very badly hit, mm. um, largely um, made up of uh, smallholder farmers um, who are very, very vulnerable, um, uh, as has been said, to the, to the effects of extreme weather events, which are often uh, related to, to climate change in this region. We've seen a lot of it over recent years, and by all accounts, this is a situation that is going to repeat itself and stretch into next year as well because of the uh, El Nino effect. Mm. Now, Noctula was also highlighting uh, um, the challenges that the smaller um, farmers are facing, and uh, climate change has been uh, one of those um, particular um, issues that have added to their woes. Now, when we speak about climate change, you know, has there been enough sort of uh, an educa- at an educational level, has there been enough uh, workshops or, or, or efforts put in place to really um, kind of educate uh, these people so that they can be able to deal with some of the changes that will inevitably take place? Uh, you're talking to me, to David Orr. Yes, 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 I am. Well, I mean, look, I think there is really never enough that can be done in terms of uh, disaster risk reduction and, and preparedness and making making these communities more resilient to the effects of, of climate change. I think, you know, it's something that the World Food Programme is working on, obviously, together with FAO and other partners and various governments in the, in the region, but um, it, it's, a, it's a huge area and not a lot more needs to be done on this. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, other things, scaling up uh, climate smart agriculture, improving water conservation, these things are, are all very important, as are, of course, just building up the sort of the... Um, the sustainability and and the and the and the um, support mechanisms of, mm-hmm. of smallholder farmer communities, which are very vulnerable, obviously in an area with with huge nutritional challenges. You know, high levels of stunting um, in at least uh, five or six countries in this region. Very mm-hmm. high levels of HIV/AIDS. These are the things that obviously weaken the the resilience and strength of. Of, uh, of communities right across the region. Mm. Mr. Piri, I'd like to know, I mean, what are some of the, the key ongoing uh, policy processes, um, especially at regional level, um, to deal with this um, crisis? Mr. Piri? Yes. Um, the, 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 the first thing is, of course, to, uh, to, to, to support um, uh, the vulnerable people uh, mm. in the region uh, who need food um, and food assistance uh, right now. Uh, so immediate relief is, is, is required uh, in whatever form uh, to make sure that, um, that the situation doesn't, doesn't go very, uh, very bad. Um, but there's also an issue of supporting them um, with um, uh, input packages and so on uh, so that um, they're better prepared for the next, uh, next, growing, uh, next growing season. Mm. Um, that, that means... Uh, inputs for uh, for crops. It means also uh, feed uh, for for livestock um, uh, and so on. Uh, but importantly, uh, in the uh, in the medium term, it is important uh, that uh, irrigation um, be scaled up because for most of the smallholder farmers um, that still use um, for who rely almost solely on God-given rainfall. 
uh, it becomes very difficult mm. uh, when a drought when a drought uh, strikes. Mm. So uh, the scaling up of uh, irrigation is particularly important, and and SAO uh, and others uh, are working uh, to to support government uh, in, in 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 this regard. But there are also issues of uh, ensuring uh, promotion of water conservation, um, and as my colleague was already saying, uh, scaling up uh, of disaster risk mm-hmm. reduction strategies. And I think every country uh, in the in the sub-region must have one because uh, uh, we have we have a tendency now to have one or two good seasons and then one or two bad seasons. So it is not as if a drought is not going to happen or floods are not going to happen. They will happen. Yeah. So it is better to get prepared. Mm. Now, Noctula, the international response to food crisis on the continent um, has been a target of controversy and criticism ma'am, in recent times. This, of course, mostly due to um, what has been described as a slow response. Would you say that international organizations have responded um, with the necessary speed to assist in alleviating this problem? Uh, Noctula? Um, I think... The response to this food crisis should be something that Mike, um, the guy from um, FAO has just mentioned, that should be anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the, the, this shouldn't be just, the reliance on, on a response shouldn't be just from international organizations. Governments themselves need to anticipate. Policymakers need to be aware of these challenges, and they are aware of the challenges. Um, they've put in place different policy frameworks that actually look at the issue of agriculture and the issue of climate change adaptation at a regional level and at different national levels. But it's the implementation of these policies that is lacking. And so I think it's a multifaceted issue that requires a multifaceted response. And reliance on international organizations, um, whilst to some extent might be good, but mm-hmm. governments themselves and private sector institutions within the countries also need to play their role um, in preparing and responding to these. And unfortunately, that has something that has been lacking. Mm. Now, Mr. All with Noctula highlighting that governments need to take um, also some ownership when it comes to dealing with this problem. Um, African leaders um, actually pledged and devoted about uh, 10% of their annual budgets in driving agricultural transformation. This was at a meeting in Malabo in Equatorial Guinea in June this year. Have we actually seen this undertaking being implemented? And if not, really, what seems to be the reasons for um, that slow uh, process, Um, Mr. Orr? Well, look, I mean, in my capacity as uh, someone working for the World Food Program, I'm not an expert on agriculture and not even in agriculture and in Africa my, my focus is more on food security to mm-hmm. be honest mm-hmm. but um, I mean I would say that obviously we're in a very very difficult uh, global funding situation at the moment and I think it's been a big wake-up call for everyone not just in the humanitarian community but really right across the the continents with the focus so much on um, major emergencies elsewhere in the world and indeed in, in, in parts of Africa, South Sudan and uh, Central African Republic. Um, and I think we are going to have to look at other alternative means mm. of sustaining um, the situation as David. The other David said, you know, these are cyclical and repetitive events. Droughts mm. are not one-off. We're looking at, a, at this situation uh, currently in Southern Africa prolonging itself into, into next growing season as well. Um, by all indications. So uh, we do need to look at other means of protecting particularly smallholder farmers, which is one of the reasons WFP has been involved in 
um, the Africa Risk Capacity um, Extreme Weather Insurance um, Scheme, which you, you may have heard of, and this is mm-hmm. basically whereby governments invest small uh, invest funds in, in a risk pool so that when drought and other extreme weather events uh, strike, that they can disperse funds to the uh, smallholder farmers affected. I mean, this has been a very innovative scheme and, and shows some of the sort of forward thinking that I think is, is needed. Mm-hmm. Mr. Piri, if you can just um, break down a little bit about um, the work that you then do as FAO in this regard to fill in these gaps. And of course, um, uh, if, if you can, you know, touch on some of the assistance that you may be able to give or that you would like to give to these smallholder farmers who seem to be really bearing the brunt in this regard. Mr. Piri? Thank you very much. Uh, b- before I go there, I just wanted to, to add to something in terms of mm. what has happened to those countries that, um, like uh, South Africa, Zambia, and Tanzania, mm-hmm. um, why they have performed better this year. Yeah. Um, because they had um, sufficient, in fact, sizable carryover stocks uh, from, uh, from last year. That is one uh, of um, one of the reasons why they seem to have done better than other countries, given that they were equally affected uh, by um, the rains and floods mm. and so on that uh, characterize uh, this particular uh, this particular uh, season. Uh, in terms of what FAO uh, does in um, uh, in this abrasion, as I said, we do promote. Uh, we do first. Firstly, we do provide uh, policy support mm. uh, to uh, to government so that there is consistency. Uh, in the policies that they have, uh, both from the agriculture side as well as forestry and environment, because all, all these policies affect each other, uh, including land. So we, we try to help them uh, develop a policy framework, including also on food and nutrition security. Mm-hmm. Um, we also uh, then help them with subsector uh, interventions, including supporting uh, of irrigation, uh, including supporting climate smart agriculture and conservation agriculture in particular, uh, which uh, ensures that water is conserved, uh, but at the same time um, the productivity uh, of the land goes up. So zero mm-hmm. tillage, for example, making sure that uh, this old practice um, that we've had for a number of years now of making ridges and so on, which exposes soil uh, to, uh, to elements, um, and then uh, and then affects negatively uh, the moisture content and so on um, is reduced to the extent possible. Well, thank you so much. Um, that is the voice of Mr. David Peary. They're just explaining some of the work that they do there as a food and agricultural organization. He's, of course, the sub-regional coordinator for the Southern African region. We also joined on the line by Noctula Mene, Economic Justice Campaigns Advisor at Oxfam, South Africa, and uh, David Orr, Communications Officer for the Southern Africa UN World Food Program. We're going to a short break. We'll be back after this. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1 or write to us at the address P.O. Box 
91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thirty-one minutes after eleven o'clock Central African time, you tuned into African Dialogue. We are currently on the frequency nine six two five kilohertz on the thirty-one meter band to Southern Africa, and of course on a channel nine zero two on the DSTV audio bouquet. My name is Zikona Miso. I'm with you until the top of the hour. I'm joined on the line by Mr. David Orr, Communications Officer for Southern Africa UN World Food Programme, Noctula Mene, Economic Justice Campaigns Advisor for Oxfam South Africa, and Mr. David Piri, who's the FAO Sub-Regional coordinator for Southern Africa and of course we're getting into conversation uh, today around a food security crisis on the African continent with a particular um, uh, emphasis on the Southern African region. Now just before the break um, Mr. Piri was giving an account of exactly what the FAO does and of course uh, to fill in the gaps um, in this crisis that is uh, facing the African continent. Now Noctula, there have been some critics who are saying that um, the increased uh, birth or exploding population rate on the African continent continues to add to the food crisis. Can this be justified? Um, Zikana, I'm not sure how to answer that, to mm. be honest. Um, is this, is this, is, could this also be a contributing factor then to some of the problems that we're facing? Um, the fact that um, the population, you know, is growing on the African continent. Could this be a, a, a real contributing factor or is it just uh, people, just, uh, you know, um, speculation, so to speak? I think I would attribute it to a more lack of planning um, mm. and a more silo thinking, mm. um, largely from the policymakers and a, definitely a lack of political will because I'm sure even as the policymakers sit in their office, they anticipate an increase in population over the years. In 10 years' time, we expect the country to have so many people. But what are the interventions that are being put in place in order to be able to meet that? Mm. Um, um, some time ago, um, the government sat, in 2003, they made a commitment towards contributing 10% um, towards um, contribution investment in agriculture. This was then, again, reaffirmed through the Malibu Declaration mm. in 2014. But... Um, Honestly, only 13 states have improved their, their investment in agriculture um, and just two are allo- currently allocating 10% or mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And so there is definitely a lack of political will and a lack of planning to see that where this is going. And so whilst perhaps some people might argue that the increase in population might be this, but I think we are running away from the real issues, which are a lack of investment, um, a lack of political will, and a lack and of View, when we view food security, I think governments are tending to view it as more as a production issue. And as much as production is important, we also need to look at it throughout the whole value chain. The market issue is just as um, pertinent with um, the issue of food security. And so that has ultimately not been focused on in all the countries within SADC. And so I think there are other more pertinent issues mm. and some of the issues like um, 
population increase are things that can be anticipated and 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 mitigated mr mm. all so, oh, there seems to be um investment seems to be you know the key word in terms of really making sure that there's a fast tracking in terms of advancement in this um, particular um issue um when it comes to smallholder farmers i know that you mentioned earlier on that of course there needs to be more investment that goes into that so that um they can be able to also um uh, flourish and also then it would assist with um uh, uh, mitigating um this particular crisis investment where do we begin to make sure that there is you know some more investment that's going into this particular sector to make sure that um this crisis is really alleviated as soon as possible sure i think you know the investment has to come from all at all levels and from all directions from government from the top down certainly our our uh, point of entry mm-hmm. into support for smallholder farmers um is, is really sort of bottom up. We're working with you know small uh, communities, trying to um, increase the capacity of smallholder farmers um, so that they are able to uh, produce more and better quality crops, so that they are able to access markets, not mm-hmm. just um, so that they can sell to the World Food Programme, for example, but to uh, much more more widely and obviously as I say it needs to be from the top down as well because you need that uh, investment in infrastructure so that um, it's easier for smallholders to actually get their mm. crops to market it well, I'm talking about transportation and all this sort of stuff but where possible um, and increasingly um, WFP does try to source um, produce from from smallholder farmers for its operations, whether it be um, school feeding or um, indeed uh, relief operations uh, in response to the drought that we've seen right across the region this year. Mm. Mr. Piri, your thoughts around that? Yeah, I, 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 I think I agree. Um, I, I think investment in um, in, in people, uh, in uh, investment in reducing. Uh, Stunting, for example, will uh, uh, lead to um, uh, to populations that are uh, that are more um, better better nourished um, and that are therefore uh, able to contribute to uh, to economic growth, investment in, in infrastructure. Um, as David uh, David All um, has already mentioned, you need you need investment in people, you need investment in infrastructure, and you also need um, uh, investment um, in institutions, mm. uh, so that the institutions themselves uh, continue uh, to support uh, farmers. Mm. And it's almost time for us to to wrap up. But um, for the listener who still wants to get those messages through, please do so by simply tweeting us at Channel Africa One. That is our handle there on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. We have a group there. Search for Channel Africa. You'll be able to find us. Or you can text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five. You can also email us to info at channelafrica.co.za. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at eleven hundred hours Central African time and. Of course, uh, we'd love to get your sentiments around this particular topic. I know this is something that uh, doesn't affect uh, one region of the continent, uh, but the continent at large. But uh, today we are specifically focusing on the Southern African region. Um, I'm going to give an opportunity um, to all three of my guests um, to just give their closing remarks in this regard. But I'd like to, uh, I'd like them to just also briefly touch on uh, some reports who have estimated that um, uh, by the end of this year, 
Nearly one in ten people will be depending on food handouts on the continent. Nearly one in ten people will be depending on food handouts by the end of this year, 2015, on the continent. These are some reports that are coming through. I'd like to get your thoughts around that, uh, whether these are just some uh, prophets of doom or whether there is some truth to some of these reports that are coming through. Noctula, I'm going to give you the first opportunity um, to uh, give us your, your thoughts around that. Yeah, thanks, Sikona. I think that that figure is a frightening figure, mm. um, but it it really could it could it could uh, be a reflection of the truth. Unfortunately, um, in in Africa and in Southern Africa, we've ceased to see food as a basic human right, and food is a basic human right that needs to be realised. The right for every woman, child, and everybody needs to have access to food and nutritional food. And unfortunately, that hasn't been realised here. Um, and so, my closing remark is that there is an urgent need for policy reform in Southern Africa at um, regional level, but also at a national level. Um, there needs to be a new set of innovative and trans- innovative transformation-oriented policies uh, that support the emergence of a vibrant, prosperous smallholder sector in the region, mm. um, but also that also holds private sector, including retailers, accountable and fosters their, their needs and helps them to foster food security rather than the status quo where they foster food insecurity. Um, and there's also need for these policies to have a particular focus on women. And I know throughout this discussion we haven't touched on the issue of gender in general and mm-hmm. women in particular, um, but it's important for us to realize that um, most of the production at farm level is done by women, and it is women and children who usually bear the brunt of food insecurity or hunger. Mm-hmm. And so any policies and any interventions need to have a gender focus and a gender bias and ensure that um, they take into account the needs of women. Um, and so there's an urgent need for us in Southern Africa to actually look at the issue of food security quite critically and ensure that any policies that we've, um, that we've, we've put in place are implemented and not just sit at that level and remain as policies because at the end of the day, um, food is a basic human right and should be available to everybody. Mm. Mr. David Orr, your closing remarks? I think that's a very, very good point about um, supporting women who, after all, form the backbone of the smallholder farming uh, community right across Africa. We're in a situation now where there are more than 13 million people um, facing hunger this coming lean season, and that's excluding um, South Africa. I'm talking about the rest of the region. Um, it's, it's up on last year. It's, a, it's an increase on last year. But the rather worrying um, perspective is that it's actually not that much above the, um, the five-year average. Mm. And um, as, I've said, as I've said earlier, I think this is a situation that we're going to see stretching right into um, next year. It's uh, a significant chance that this El Nino event Um, could uh, be one of the strongest uh, weather systems of the last 35 years. And we are going to be probably talking about drought and uh, the impacts of reduced rainfall on agriculture and indeed on food security in Southern Africa right into next year. So it's very important to keep this um, uh, subject top of the agenda. Mm -hmm. Mr. Piri? Yeah, um, I think I I, I can't agree more about the about the need to um, uh, to to focus uh, on women who are the main uh, producers in most of the uh, of the countries um, I, I must I must put things in perspective the the situation this year 
is worse than the situation last year. But last year was a very um, uh, was a very bumper harvest. Mm. So we have to put that in perspective. Um, and even though um, 27, 27.4 million uh, people will be hungry uh, this year, up from last uh, last year, we do expect that most countries, uh, because um, their systems work better, they will be able. Uh, to feed their populations within the uh, within the countries without need for uh, for external assistance. Mm-hmm. However, there are countries uh, who, because of problems of uh, uh, fiscus, um, they will need support uh, from the international community. Now, for the future, I think governments must really provide um, an environment, a policy environment, uh, in which farmers, both small and big, uh, can prosper and feed for the, feed their families and market their crops. We should also not forget that even though there is a rise of um, uh, food insecurity this year, there is always a large population of people in southern Africa that is chronically, whether there is drought or there is no drought, which is chronically poor and chronically underfed uh, because of access issues, which means it's the poverty levels that then derive, um, uh, that then dictate uh, in, terms, uh, in terms of what these people can eat or cannot eat. So I think government should make a great effort to, uh, to ensure that people that are chronically um, hungry should move away from that category. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. And of course, um, uh, there's never enough time to really delve into all the aspects um, uh, when it comes to uh, food security issues. And um, I agree with Noctula around um, uh, the, the, the women um, issue in uh, the agriculture sector. We didn't really get to touch on that, but uh, that could be another conversation altogether at a different time. But thank you so much to all our guests for joining us. We appreciate your time here on African Dialogue. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, that was Noktula Mene, Economic Justice Campaign Advisor from Oxfam, South Africa. Mr. David Piri, FAO Sub-Regional Coordinator for Southern Africa, as well as Mr. David Orr, Communications Officer for Southern Africa United Nations World Food Programme. They were joining us on the line as we were getting into conversation around food security on the continent. It's time now for our economic update with Wisani Matebula. Good morning, Zico. Now, Zimbabwe's Finance Minister, Patrick Chinamasa, says the African Development Bank has agreed to cancel the Southern African nation $601 million US dollar areas to the bank. Zimbabwe owes foreign creditors $9 million billion and has been struggling for five years to recover from a catastrophic recession, widespread food shortages and hyperinflation. The International Monetary Fund has approved almost $12 billion US dollars in the financial assistance for the Central African Republic. This in a bid to help the country meet urgent balance of payment needs and to support its emergency economic recovery program. The approval by the IMF follows a disbursement of about $7.9 million to CAR in March under the Rapid Credit Facility. 
Regarding Sierra Leone's economy, the IMF says it will contract by 21.5% this year, following growth of 4.6% last year due to a crisis in the mining sector. A shortfall in government revenues due to a halt in mining production will push the budget deficit to 4.8% of uh, the GDP. The IMF says uh, the short- and medium-term outlook for Sierra Leone is challenging with GDP growth for 2016 expected to remain relatively unchanged. Former South African President Thabo Mbeki has called for governments and financial institutions across Africa to fight against illegal financial flows from the continent. He was speaking in Nairobi, Kenya at the sub-regional conference to discuss concerns that illicit financial flows from Africa are large and have been rising. Selina Tobong reports. Tabombegi heads the high-level panel on illicit financial flows from Africa, which was created by the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa and the African Union. A report released earlier this year shows that Africa loses in excess of 50 to 60 billion U.S. dollars every year. Investigations have revealed that two-thirds of the illicit outflows is as a result of commercial activities. The conference brought together stakeholders from East, South and North Africa. Stakeholders say poor governance, weak regulatory structures and involvement in corruption by top government officials remains a challenge. Reporting for Channel Africa News, I am Selina Ndobong. Botswana's consumer inflation has inched uh, slower to 3.5% year-on-year in August from 3.1% in the previous month. This according to data from Statistic Office. On a month-on-month basis, prices also grew at a slower rate. Financial indicators say the dollar trading at 13.47 South African rands at 10.24 Botswana Pula and 982 to the Zambian Guacha. Also trading at 0.64 to the British pound and 0.88 against the euro. Commodities, we start with gold, which is at $1,108. Platinum has gone down to $958, while Brent crude oil also has not dived to $48.27 per barrel. That's your economics news for now. Time now for our sports with Figile Lingwati. SABC brings to you Rugby World Cup 2015 live on SABC2 and SABC radio stations. In our sports update this hour, Heki Butler, who has fought at Emperor's Palace 21 times, faces another challenge at his favorite venue this weekend. The WBA and IBO minimum weight champion returns to his home ground east of Johannesburg to defend his titles against Simpio Kongo. And despite Butler's record of 21 with one loss, with nine wins inside the distance, he's unlikely to have an easy ride against an opponent who has never fought in Gauteng. Kongo, who has lost four of his 19 professional fights. 
is fourth on the WBA's rankings list and has not lost since April 2010 when Luzuko CEO stopped him in the fourth round in East London. And on the football news, host Senegal will square up to South Africa in the grand opening clash of the 2015 Under-23 Cup of Nations on the 28th of November at the Leopold Sindar Singo Stadium in Dakar. The two nations will kickstart the eight-nation event, which will serve as ultimate push for the continental qualifiers for the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. A member of the South African Football Association SAFA Technical Committee, Ted Dumitru, explains. I'm very much aware of the progress made by the development of players in Senegal. At the moment, I think they are moving very, very fast on uh, uh, having the playing standards and performance standards at a quite high level. Um, I'm not quite sure if we can uh, respond to that challenge with the way uh, development is taking place in South Africa at the moment. We only hope, and this is uh, what actually is uh, happening for some, some years now, that we do have uh, individual uh, brilliance and I, I would say the, the flair and the extra amount of creativity to, to face a strong opponent in Africa. Collectively, as I said, and from the point of view of the well-established style of football, uh, we may still have to do a lot of work. Asked to predict which three nations stand a realistic chance to qualify out of the eight nations tournament to represent the African continent in Rio, Brazil next year, this is what Dumitru had to say. It's a bit uh, unfair because we don't have flow of information regarding all the African teams, but looking at uh, my information regarding uh, how the development of young players is taking place in the continent, I would say there are a few very, very strong candidates, and that should be um, Nigeria, Tunisia, and probably another North African countries. You, you mentioned about Algeria. So that's how I think the situation will, will be at the end of the tournament. One uh, team from West Africa and, and uh, two, two from North Africa. Senegal being, the, I would say, the, the surprise team, I'm not quite sure if they are going to match the others, but these three, they come my mind now. Based on the information I have from the way the, the players are developed and the, the standards of their youth development. In athletics, Casta Semenya has expressed her satisfaction with a win in the women's 800-meter race at the All-Africa Games currently underway in Brazzaville in Congo. Simina will won the race in a time of 2 minutes, 01.00 seconds. It was a confident caster who started off quicker than has been the case in her recent races. She lay second after 200 meter and stayed up front as the bell for the final lap sounded at exactly 60 seconds. Yeah, obviously the main plan was just to stick on a pace, then uh, get a good finish. Uh, obviously I was in lane 1, so I just had to lead till 600 to see what's going to happen. Obviously, I'm quite good in the last 100, so I didn't worry that much. I just had to wait, you know, give some ladies a chance to pass, so I didn't want to be aggressive. And finally, preparations for the third edition of the Legends Marathon, which is run between Bishaw Stadium to Jan Smart Stadium in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province, are underway. Legends Marathon race director Meta Scott says athletes from outside South Africa have shown interest in taking part in the race, which will take place on the 3rd of October 2015. 
Well, we are all very excited about this race this year. This will be the third time that we're um, organizing this race. We have some really top-class runners. All the professional teams, such as Mr. Price and Ned Bank Roadrunners, will all be coming down here. Uh, we also have some uh, international athletes from all over, from Eritrea, from Kenya, from Zimbabwe, Botswana. And so we have a very, very good field um, of, of runners coming down to, to this race. That's your sport news this hour. SABC brings to you Rugby World Cup 2015 live on SABC2 and SABC radio stations. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, that's how we wrap up today's installment of African Dialogue. Be sure to continue tuning in to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And don't forget to visit our webpage. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. For myself, as economist and the rest of the team, it's cheers for now. We'll leave you with the sounds of organized family. This one is called Dopolodompo. Enjoy. International. Yes, Moin one. Ogarex one. Organized family combination. The music teacher is here. Ratata. Zambia. Uyu. Get me as a teacher. Ah. Lelo ni funa ni kuzeba chenji mami. Mameni nizo kufuna ni nakunama. Sinako uzeba chenji chito ya meleni sebenza.